Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming home here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And then, after taking some food, he regained his strength. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. I love uh, and have great affection for, used them in raising my children, was raised on them myself. I know if you're parents of small children, you use them too. I, I hope you do because it's a great way to learn the stories of the Bible. And I'm talking about Bible story books. The, these collections of the great stories of the Bible and all in chapters and uh, you hear the great stories. This one, uh, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, fall of the walls of Jericho, Moses and the burning bush. The, the, the big stories of the scriptures are contained in those Bible story books. And they're, they're, they're very valuable and I'm sure your, your church library has them. And, they're a wonderful thing. There is, though, one thing that needs to be said and understood about a Bible storybook is that if they can't stay there, obviously. You have to soon make the translation from this Bible storybook to the book. 
The danger with Bible story books, if sort of left there, is that one can very soon begin to think of the story of God as something like a train with a bunch of boxcars, all with little individual, little segments, all sort of self-contained stories, all with a nice moral, uh, be brave, trust God, don't tell lies, be a good person, love your neighbor, love God, don't be afraid. We can very quickly, with Bible story books, sort of basically treat them like any children's storybooks that have nice morals too, Aesop's fables, you know, don't tell lies, be good, love your neighbor, don't be proud and puffed up, keep a good eye on yourself, those sorts of things. We can very quickly see the stories of Scripture as that and then leave them there. The, the next step has to take, be taken with all of us in that we see that these collections of stories finally all together and in one form, one unit, telling the story. The story being the story of salvation. God, through human beings, through the use of instruments, and that's, that's an important word here because that's the, that's the word that Ananias uh, heard from the Lord. He says, the Lord says, I have chosen this one that you're so afraid of, this Saul, as an instrument to bring about the salvation of the world. But what we have to see with the whole of all of the Bible stories in the Bible is that they all are in the Bible because they are a chapter, a, a little paragraph, sometimes several chapters uh, of the story. And that, that's a really critical thing, especially because before us tonight, we have two stories. And I've entitled the, the sermon uh, uh, Biblical MVPs or, or Kingdom MVPs or something like that. Most valuable players. We don't have any problem seeing the story of Saul and his conversion and later becoming Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, as an MVP. He was pivotal. He was a, a big player, a major player, a very valuable player in the whole history, that whole story of God saying, I am not going to allow this world that I have created to just die and fall and perish without me. I am going to intervene, and I'm going to intervene with my instruments. I am going to bring about a new creation. I am going to bring about a new world. I am going to save this place, chiefly through my son. But all of the stories of the Old Testament lead up to the one, and all of the stories after Jesus ascends into heaven, the stories of Paul and the, the, book, the whole book of Acts, of course, is how that, from that one, that one major, major player, truly the most valuable player, Jesus, the rest of the story gets spread about, and dear friends in Christ here in Elmhurst, Illinois, you and I are here tonight because of that story. We are players, too. And I hope to show us tonight that we all are, in one 
in the most important way you can talk about it, MVPs. We are players in the great story. This story is a great story. And you could very, very quickly find a nice little moral, like Aesop's fables might, you, about this story. We could see it as, well, this is the story, a dramatic story of a, of a bad guy getting turned around, sees a light, falls to the ground, hears a voice, is struck blind for three days, very proud, very arrogant, a, uh, a, a murderous man who had murderous intent, and transformed. It's a great story, and we could, we could apply nice morals to that. Don't get puffed up. Don't be like Saul. Get, don't be all proud about your heritage, and you are a Jew's Jew, and you're a Pharisee's Pharisee, and you know the law just backwards and forwards in every other way you can possibly know it. We, we can do that. But for us, the, the real beauty and the understanding of this story is that from out of this murderous man who had evil, evil intent on people of the way comes the great missionary to the Gentiles. Through this man who begins the story as with a Jewish name, and he's all about his Jewish heritage and all about the place where he stands, and he's all about that, that this threat, this sect, this people who believe they're all this talk about a resurrection, that he sees them as a threat that must be squashed, it must be stomped out, must be eliminated as a threat. He is transformed into who later becomes, the one who later becomes the great missionary to the Gentiles. In, he, he changes from a, a, Latin, a, a Hebrew name, Saul, to a Latin name, Paul. And this Jew's Jew becomes the one who has the heart, the heart, the first real heart for the Gentiles that we see in the scriptures. It's a, it's a marvelous story. He, he get this, this, he's proud, he's arrogant, he, and then he, he, for three days he's led around by the hand like, a, like he was a beggar. He's led by the hand, can't see a thing. So it, it, it's about humiliation and all those sorts of other sorts of things, but all as a part of showing us, the readers now, 2,000 years later, how God used an instrument to bring about hope for the world. The moral, uh, the... Uh, The rest of the New Testament, of course, is about how the gospel spread, how it changed lives, how it went out and out and out, and, and ultimately, here we are. Out of all those ones, and it's an odd thing, out of all the ones available to him, out of all the smart, highly educated people available to him, God chose Saul as the one to be his instrument to evangelize the Gentiles. And, and if you look around us, if you look around the whole of, of Christendom today with the churches around the world in all the different kinds of ways we, we worship, in all the different sorts of 
attitudes of prayer we, we take, the, all the different sorts of songs we sing, the, just the incredible variety, the richness and the diversity of the Christian church today. We, we said wonderfully and beautifully, uh, and I so appreciate uh, uh, Pastor, Pastor Greg's using the Belgic Confession, yeah, that document that talks about we are a Catholic church. We are a, a church that's like a, it's, it's a gathering, and we are just all over the map. We are diverse in every kind of way you can think, but we have one Savior and one Lord who died once and for all and who rose on the third day and who appeared to Saul. So from out of a context of murderous intent, something like what we see as the Holy Catholic Church today. So clearly, Paul, Saul, is an MVP. But then there's this other character. His name is Ananias. And out of the whole of the scriptures, these couple of verses are the only mention we have. He appears for a tiny little moment on the stage of world history, does his little bit, says a little, little thing, is obedient to the word that God sends to him, and then he disappears. We never hear from him again. But I would say and point us to the fact that he too was an instrument. He was an instrument of God in this wonderful, great story to bring salvation to the world and to restore from out of the broken, old, sin-infested creation that not, not God didn't create it sin-infested, but what has truly happened to it through the fall, to bring from out of that the new creation. God uses instruments. He uses the bigs the Pauls, and he uses somebody like Ananias. Ananias was one of the ones whom Paul had the authority to arrest and to torture and to haul off back to Jerusalem for processing and for likely stoning, as he had overseen with Stephen. In this story, though, the, the, the resurrected Lord who appeared to Saul on the road and struck him down and said, guess what, I have plans for you. The, the resurrected Lord appears also to Ananias in a dream and says, there's this Saul character, and as if he had to tell Ananias. Ananias knew very well who Saul was. And Ananias, when he heard what God wanted him to do, to go, to the, to go into the, the lion's den, so to speak, to go to that house of Judas on Straight Street and to minister to Saul, he was rightly afraid. He couldn't help but be otherwise. And how would, how would you not be? Uh, he was going to have to do something that was incredibly bad. It's, it's, uh, it's as wondrous a story, and Ananias's willingness to follow the word, it's as wondrous a story, as miraculous a thing, as was what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. Think about it. 
it, it's like I, um, voice of the Lord coming to uh, a Jew who's imprisoned in Auschwitz and saying, you see that SS person over there? Go have a word with him. Go tell them that you appreciate his hard work. It's as, it's as ludicrous as a, in the 1930s in the U.S. when the Ku Klux Klan was, was just raining havoc and terror on the whole of the African-American community in the South for, for God to come to um, an African-American person and say, go over and be nice, be generous, be forgiving to that murderous person over there in the white sheet. It, that's a, it's a miraculous thing that God, that, that happens here. Ananias is told that the Lord wants to make Saul an instrument to the Gentiles. So out of this, a penetrating question comes for you and for me. Are we willing to be players too? Are we willing to swallow hard when the hard thing is handed to us, when from the scriptures or through a sermon we sometimes might hear or through the, the word of a friend, a Bible study we happen to be here, when, when, when God presents us a way to serve, to be his instrument, to be an agent of renewal for this big story, this new creation that he's planning, that, he's, that he has, in, is it, that he's intent on. Are we willing to be players? Are we willing to do like Ananias and swallow hard and say, okay, I'm, I will do this. Ananias was. How could he do it, though? What, what was there? Well, it's the fact it's the resurrection. That's who appeared to Saul on the road. It was the resurrected Christ. The one who had been low in the grave for three days and had then emerged from it and had thus changed everything. And it was on that authority and because Paul, Saul at the time, was able to understand and to see and be humbled, brutally humbled, for three days, and then later on I'm going to tell him how much he must suffer for me. How was it possible for Ananias to come and do that? Well, the, the, it's a remarkable thing. Ananias says, okay, I'll go. And the first word out of his mouth when he comes into that room on straight street is brother. That's the first word out of his mouth. It's brother. He called the man that he feared, the man that he knew probably had papers with his name on it. He knew that this one was his brother. And there's nothing that can be said, the, the power to do that. The power to say something like that, the power for, for uh, someone in Auschwitz, for someone 
uh, under a lynching tree in the South in the Jim Crow years. To be able to call a murderous enemy brother, that's not a human thing. We don't just do that. It's, it's, it's divine. And it is what happened to Ananias too. St. Francis of Assisi has a wonderful prayer. I, we've, we've made a, there's a, a, a great song, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. Uh, where there is danger, let me, you know, where, where there is this kind of trouble, let me be this. M- make me an instrument, Lord. That was Saint, what St. Francis always said. I, I want to be an instrument. It, it might, today, we might balk at that. We might say, I don't want to be an instrument. I want to be a... I want to be co-captain. You know, I want to be a, uh, make me a member of the peace team. I don't want to be, a, an instrument is, is low down and, and mean and, and, well, not mean, mean, but uh, it's just, it's low down. It's, it's not significant. It's not important, it seems to us, to just be a, a channel, an instrument. But that is what God needs from us. God says, I want you to tell him, I want you now, my instrument, to tell him that he is going to be my instrument. We don't know how to be instruments. It's, it's, it's difficult for us. But basically remember what, if, you have, if you're a, a man with a, with a tool bench, um, if you're uh, a person of the kitchen and you have Lots of, you have lots of instruments. You have lots of tools. And they are not low down and insignificant. You need the right tool for the right job, whether it's to whisk some eggs or drill a hole or pound a nail. You, you need the right, you need something that has the potential to serve you. It, it's very hard to drive a nail with the pliers. I mean, maybe do something, but it's, it's not effective. And friends in Christ, I would urge you all to be, be about the prayer that we were praying before the service, before the sermon. Have thine own way, Lord. You were the potter. You know, I, I, I don't have to be co-captain. I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm willing to be an instrument, to be an instrument of your peace. If you think of all the other saints in the whole of church history, if all, the, all the bigs, the ones that have chapters in storybooks, you're impressed with those, and you might say, oh, boy, who, who, could, have the, who could have the courage to do that? I just heard on a, uh, a wonderful website side, site called uh, GodPod, um, comes out of Oxford and it's a bunch of Anglicans simply talking theology and one of them one of the sessions was about Thomas Cramner. Thomas Cramner was Archbishop of Canterbury when Henry VIII was was king and then later on through a couple successions. Uh, Thomas Cranmer was burned at the stake by uh, Mary Queen of Scots for uh, saying I don't want to be Catholic I want to be I want to be a Protestant I, I want to have the Bible be the, um, the, the thing that determines what my faith and how our church should be. And 
under threat of burning at the stake, and he had been forced to watch the burning of the stake of uh, Thomas Ridley and, and another friend a couple of weeks earlier. And uh, he had been forced to watch that happen. And this is going to happen to you, Cranmer. This is going to happen to you. And he abdicated. He said, okay, okay, I, 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 I take it all back. I take it all back. I'll, I'll sign anything. I, 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 I'll take it all back. But, but Mary says, okay, good, good, good. But you're still going to burn. And he said, oh, you, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it all back. I'll do anything you want. I'll, I'll recant everything. She, she says, great, great. Yeah. Admit it to everybody you were wrong. You were wrong. The, you, you're, this new church you're trying to start is, is ridiculous. You, you can't. But you're still going to burn. And finally, the fires were burning or set, and he was about ready to be put on. And then he said, I repent. I have done a terrible thing and I've signed terrible documents recounting what I believe. And here, the first thing that really caused offense is going to be the first thing to burn. And he, he put his hand in the fire. Now you look at that and you say, oh man, what a great story. And, and what, what strength and what courage and how, how, how could anybody do that? Thankfully, you and I aren't being asked, at least not now, not yet to do anything half so heroic, uh, uh, you know, 2% so heroic. But we are asked to do things that are hard. We are asked to be faithful. And insofar as God, the resurrected Christ, gave Thomas Cranmer strength to do what he needed to do, insofar as God gave Ananias the strength to do what he was called upon to do, the resurrected Christ, who stands in the middle of our church and who is the reason we've gathered here tonight, will give you the power and the confidence in him and his work uh, because he's raised from the dead to, do, to be his instrument. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that you come to us where we are and you meet us and you... Bless us and you challenge us. Lord, we thank you that you're not, uh, that you think more of us than we often do. We thank you that you see in us potentialities, instruments to bring hope, to bring change, to bring ministry, compassion, service to others, and all for the sake of your glorious coming kingdom. We stand with the saints of old and with the one who emerged from the tomb as your people and say, Lord, lead us and we will follow. And we pray in the name of the resurrected Christ. Amen.